Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is an old friend, Seth Barron. Not so long ago, Seth was an associate editor of City Journal. He was a frequent uh, guest host of this podcast. These days, he's the managing editor of The American Mind, which is a publication of the Claremont Institute. And he's the author of a brand new book called The Last Days of New York, a reporter's true tale, released just this week. Uh, so, Seth, good uh, good to talk with you. Thanks very much for coming on uh, the Ten Blocks podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. It's a pleasure to to be here on the other side of the microphone. So let's um, you know let's start with uh, the situation in New York, 2021, right now. Before we move on to your book, which provides a, an explanation of how we reached this point. So the mayor's race is now really entering its uh, its final weeks uh, with the Democratic primary weeks away, and the winner of the Democratic primary will almost inevitably be the next mayor. So uh, what has happened over the past month, I would say, is that a clear top three candidates uh, have emerged, and in one order or another, you have Andrew Yang, you know, the outsider here, uh, Eric Adams and Catherine Garcia. They're they're generally the top three in the polls. We we had done a, a poll uh, at the Manhattan Institute that had Adams winning very narrowly over Yang after respondents were asked to simulate uh, the ranked choice voting system, which will be in use in the primary this year. So uh, then you had Garcia, who is the former sanitation commissioner. Uh, received the endorsement of the New York Times and uh, one poll, I believe, that has appeared since that uh, suggests that she might be ahead. Uh, but it is a very close race among those top three. So, you know, uh, you could look at that those top three, and I, I said this to you the other day, uh, these are probably three of the sanest candidates in the race, uh, they're not promising to defund the police. They're, they're um, you know, somewhat friendly to school choice. And they do seem to understand that uh, business uh, is necessary for a city to flourish. On the other hand, a pessimist would reply that these candidates seem moderate only because the terrain has shifted so far to the left in the city that compared with, uh, you know, Bloomberg or Giuliani, any of these three potential mayors would represent uh, a continuation of the leftward shift that began with Bill de Blasio that you chronicle in your book. So I was struck while watching you know, a recent debate that every time one candidate attacked another, it was for taking an insufficiently left-wing stance on a given issue. So you know, what's your take on this? The optimistic view, the pessimistic view, something in between? Well, you know, I, I, when when the glass is, is half full, you know, one has to at least credit the, um, you know, the, the appearance of plenitude. Um, I, I think that there are reasons to take hope uh, in that the more radical candidates don't seem to be making much headway, like Maya Wiley or Diane Morales. Uh, you know, no, nobody's very impressed with their, their, their pleas to... Um, you know, destroy policing. Uh, I, I, it's, 
it's salutary that someone like Andrew Yang, uh, who is not yet owned by the, uh, the, the, the public sector unions, has, you know, made noises about bucking the, the teachers. Um, so, you know, th that's good. Eric Adams is a former police officer. And, you know, he, despite what he says, I mean, he is a little bit erratic in his comments and some of his actions. One has to imagine that 22 years on the force, that experience can't just vanish uh, overnight. And Catherine Garcia, you know, kind of embodies the technocratic, can-do sort of pragmatism that, uh, you know, I mean, look, she ran the sanitation department, and while it was under de Blasio, at the same time, sanitation is a pretty much a nuts-and-bolts type of operation. It's not really... There's not a lot of room for woke uh, philosophizing and so forth. And she appeared, you know, she apparently ran it, you know, credit, credibly, you know. So it, I, I think that if any of these three becomes the mayor, it's not going to be an absolute disaster. But at the same time, as you said, uh, the, the, they are captive to various major interests in the Democratic base which are extremely uh, allied with, you know, these sort of social justice, BLM, woke tendencies. Uh, and I don't see them, like, working against that. Right. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I, I'm not really... And, and, and to, to, to a large degree, so much of the city, like the city council... The um, nonprofit organizations, the the public sector unions, are so captured by the far left that, in a weird way, it doesn't really matter that much what the mayor does. How do you um, how do you handicap the race? Do you, you have uh, any uh, insights into you know who's going to win this? Or, or uh, I have I have no insights. the The ranked choice voting apparently is going to be you know. In a, in a large race, it could really throw things off. I I don't have the um, five-dimensional chess abilities to uh, figure out what the, you know, second and third choice rankings, how, how all of that plays out. Um, I can imagine any of those three or, you know, maybe somebody else coming in. Yeah. I, my guess is as good as anybody else's. Now, some, some of the other races haven't been getting a lot of attention. Uh, but you know they're they're important. Uh, you you did a recent article for us called "Seeing No Evil," uh, which which looked at the district attorney's race, in which every candidate, with the exception of Liz Crotty, basically denied the reality of rising crime in the city, and uh, they were you know going out of their way to find excuses for criminality. Uh, this isn't, this isn't a phenomenon unique to New York. Prosecutors, as we've seen in, in any number of cities now, um, you know, are, are moving in this kind of uh, um, decarceral direction. That's extremely troubling from from anybody who, you know, from my perspective, is is concerned with law and order in cities. So, you, you know, what is going on there? Does a sober-minded uh, candidate stand a chance for DA in the city? And, you know, there does seem to have been a kind of shift in the rhetoric of the mayoral campaign about crime, 
especially after the shooting in Times Square, people seem to um, start taking the rising crime numbers more seriously at that point, even though those numbers have been evident for a while now. So, so you know, what, what's your view of the DA's race and uh, this general phenomenon of, of uh, woke DA's? Well, I mean, the general phenomenon nationwide, I mean, it, you have to hand it to the, to the hard left. I mean, it was brilliant of them that for decades it was just assumed that, okay, well, the prosecutor's office will always be held by a law and order type, and that's just the way it is. And they were like, well, why shouldn't we contest that? So you've seen uh, members of the, the defense bar, hard left uh, lawyers and activists essentially take over prosecutors' offices, like, you know, the fox capturing the hen house all over the country. And, you know, as we've seen, there's been a massive rise in crime and a sharp decline in prosecutions uh, and, you know, ex- expansion of diversion programs and uh, non-carceral alternatives and, uh, you know, restorative justice initiatives, you know, places like Philadelphia and San Francisco is partic- particularly egregious. And now it seems like New York may may go that way too. Fortunately, the there's eight candidates, most of whom are completely unknown, some of whom are extraordinarily radical, like, you know, real abolitionists. Uh, Liz Crotty is the only one who's really just taking a traditional law and order approach, but there is another woman, Tali or Haiti and Weinstein, uh, who, who's in the lead, is likely to win, and, you know, it, it basically has a more moderate sort of traditional prose- prosecutor's um, mindset, uh, though she makes noises uh, about, you know, about alternatives and so forth. But it, it seems like there's some, the, she, she has enough dog whistling going on on both sides, it's a little hard to tell where she really stands, but she appears to be fairly moderate. So hopefully cooler heads will prevail, but still, you know, again, this is just in the context of a very radical left shift in how the city deals with crime and punishment at, at a time when there's really rising crime Everyone seems to think that the best attitude is to just keep pumping the brakes on on policing. And we're seeing, you know, unfortunately, the people of New York are the ones who have to suffer it. Right. Uh, What should we be paying attention to with the city council races? The city council races, um, I mean, honestly, this is you know, where I, I, I first, this used to be my bread and butter following the city council, but you know, two thirds of the city council is up for uh, more than two thirds. I think thirty-eight or forty out of fifty-one um, seats are open. There's going to be it's, there's going to be a hard left shift. That's someplace where you're not going to see uh, moderate voices prevail. There's going to be a very left-wing city council uh, pushing all kinds of uh, nutty um, initiatives. Uh, I, I think we're going to have some problems with the city council and whoever comes in as mayor is going to really have to uh, throw throw his or her weight around because uh, there's a lot of DSA candidates that are probably going to win a lot of, you know, 
like just regarding like Israel. I mean, even though why should Israel be a major issue? But you have a number of candidates who are like really hardcore, uh, you know, pro BDS types, and you know they 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 don't see this as a as irrelevant to to, to municipal politics because they think all politics is um, has have to be you know enacted at all levels. So we're going to see some um, some wacky stuff coming from the city council for sure. Let's uh, let's shift to your new book, The Last Days of New York, A Reporter's True Tale, uh, which I mentioned at the, the outset. Um, it is just out, and it looks great. I got a copy. It's a, it's a compelling read. Uh, it's a history, basically, of New York from the financial crisis of 2007-2008 to the disastrous 2020 year of the pandemic and the riots, uh, you lay a lot of the blame for New York's current situation at the feet of Mayor de Blasio, Bill de Blasio, who you, you note in the book was mismanaging the city long before mishandling the pandemic and then permitting uh, the, the riots that were so, so disturbing um, during the course of 2020. I wonder if you can just, for listeners' benefit, um, you know, expand on the book's broadest argument uh, for for starters. Sure. Um, I mean, essentially, my argument it doesn't lay all the blame at De Blasio's feet, because you know that would ascribe to him a certain degree of um, malice and cunning, and um, you know executive excellence that I don't think he possesses. Uh, really, he is an instrument of a number of major, you know, influential factors or forces that came together to really gut the city's underlying prosperity and its strengths. Uh, these include the power of the public sector unions, of which he was a capable and willing servant, uh, the city's consultant class. Um, this is something that a lot of people don't necessarily know that much about, but it came up a lot in de Blasio's first term. Uh, consultants who uh, work both for major corporations, major you know, various interests, such as the unions and nonprofits, and also run campaigns and essentially run the city. Um, You've got real estate interests that, you know, that, you know, people like to think, people imagine that real estate interests are opposed to uh, heavy handed government intervention and management of things and, uh, you know, these, these, these woke policies. But in fact, they, they accommodate themselves to them. So, so they're fine with that as long as they get their cut. Um, and, you know, the, the, the hard left uh, radicals that who 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 staff nonprofit organizations and and government. Um, essentially, De Blasio uh, was captive to all of these interests, and his job was to enrich all of them. So, in a sense, my thesis is that I mean, and this is sort of my ironic take on it, a little tongue in cheek, is that De Blasio is only a failure as a mayor 
if if you're just like a regular New Yorker. Um, but if you're part of, you know, if you're a consultant, if you're a public sector union representative, uh, if you work for, you know, some kind of invested nonprofit, well, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And he was a good mayor. Uh, it's all a question of, you know, who, whom. Uh, but yeah, I would argue that for most New Yorkers, uh, de Blasio, you know, he, he, like I said, he, he, he hollowed out the foundations of what was a thriving, prosperous city so that when uh, the pandemic hit and when things turned bad, there was no, there was nothing to, to keep things propped up. And that's why uh, New York is now in what seems to be a, a pretty steep decline. What do you think is going to be necessary to turn that decline around, um, given that your your argument, which I think is correct, is that de Blasio is an outgrowth of the political culture of the city and that that political culture is still entrenched? Yeah, that's see, that's the problem. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at the, what, uh, you know, your colleague Ed Glazer has called the Curly effect, whereby a, um, a, a political machine named after Ed Curley of Boston can make things so unpleasant for his political enemies that they, that they leave, that they move out. Uh, I think we've seen a certain amount of that in New York. So people say, oh, well, what we need is a new Giuliani or a new Bloomberg. Well, you know, Bloomberg was elected 20 years ago, and it's a different city. Uh, a lot of people who, you know, favored those types of pro-business policies and, you know, street safety have left. So, you know, to turn things around will require really fantastic uh, political will on the part of the people. And given that we have, you know, like 25% participation rates in municipal elections, uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, you know, de Blasio, uh, de Blasio lucked out a lot. Uh, with Biden winning the election, this was clearly what de Blasio was hoping for all year long. He refused to lay anybody off in the city. He, he, he wouldn't, like, you know, impose any kind of cutbacks. And, you know, he lucked out. He's always been a very lucky guy. Right. I remember you and, wrote a piece for us on on de Blasio being the luckiest mayor, uh, just because he, exactly. was, he was governing at a time of, uh, you know, rising prosperity and uh, um, Wall Street, uh, you know, boom. Um, so um, in a way... He's never had to budget in the sense of uh, choosing between competing goods. Uh, so he's, he's always, you know, both and like, you know, let, let's pay for everything. Let's just throw money around. And now the city is washing cash again from federal bailouts. Uh, however, the next mayor, you know, I don't, I don't know how long the, the rest of the country is going to be happy to just keep pouring, you know, massive sums into New York City. Uh, the next mayor is going to is going to really have to it's really going to be like, the you know, the um, the day after the when 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 the buzz wears off from the party and looking, taking a sober look at the accounts 
and the deterioration uh, of the city physically and morally, it's really going to be, uh, it's, they're going to have a tough road to hoe. What, uh, what has been the uh, reaction to the book so far? Um, it's just out. Have you, have you had any uh, hate letters, any, uh, you know, positive uh, responses? Uh, just curious. Oh, sure. Well, I've gotten some good, good responses. I mean, you know, I, I have some terrific uh, blurbs, you know, but that those are early. Um, you know, those came from uh, people I sent it to early. Right. Uh, yes, I've gotten some good response, um, you know, and of course, silence from the um, from the left. But, uh, you know, that's to be expected. Uh, nobody likes to um, to look at an ugly picture of themselves. Yeah. Well, it's a terrific book, and it does provide a, a, a snapshot of the last, you know, last uh, two decades, really, of, of the city's life, and and gives a, a you know, I think a, a very powerful explanation of this the, the situation we do find ourselves in. Um, you know, Seth, thank you very much, as always, for coming on. I hope the book uh, sells a lot of copies and. Uh, um, you know, gets the right kind of attention. Uh, don't forget to check out Seth Barron's work on the City Journal website, where he's written any number of articles. Uh, we'll link to the author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. Uh, if you like what you've heard on the show, as always, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, Seth, thanks again for coming on. It's it's always great to talk with you, and uh, again, great you know great success with the book. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for the weekly Ten Blocks podcast, featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.